welcome back to the Homestead Connection podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's Kylie, Steph, and Molly, and we're really excited to be talking today about making money on the homestead, monetizing your homestead, different ways to help your homestead pay for itself. I think that this is a really hot topic, especially in today's economy. We're all looking how we can save a dollar or make a dollar or stretch the dollar. And for those of us who are on this self-sufficiency journey, I mean, homesteading can get expensive. It can get super expensive really fast. And so thinking about how we can make a little bit of money doing the things that we feel called to do and privileged to do and excited to do, it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. Um, so we're really excited to kind of get this ball rolling. And I, Nate and I are pretty, um, we're pretty like gun ho about wanting to make Abney Acres pay for itself in all of the ways that we can. So we've taken it pretty seriously, but I know not everybody takes it seriously. Do you, how much do you guys try to get your homesteads to contribute some in some way financially? For us, it's not as much for a financial gain. It's more of uh, like a security and an independence gain. Um, yeah. But that's not to say I don't want to do that in the future. I have cut flowers in our yard um, and mm-hmm. then a lot of produce. And I would really like to have a produce stand in front of our yard um, this year. And mm-hmm. if doing that, if I can pay for, you know, my time, you know, or like the seeds, which is inexpensive. So like doing right. the seeds and, you know, the uptick in the electricity because I have to start them so early here in Minnesota. Um, that, and then if I can pay for my overage on my water bill, because I live in a city, I have to pay for my water. So if I could pay for those things with my little produce stand, I would be super happy. Hmm. I hadn't even thought about the water. That is interesting. I take for granted having a well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Water, water bills are not okay. I have to water my garden so much in the summer that, um, we actually get a deduction on our water bill for our sewer because it's just all like water going in. And so it's kind of weird how like the overage of my water. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And so we have to like apply for this every year. So then we get a deduction somewhere and it's just a whole thing. But I, you know, as long as I could cover that with my little produce stand, I would be really happy. We do have our chickens and I am probably not the best at this if somebody asked me for a dozen eggs i just give them a dozen eggs like my family my friends like <laughs> i should really start saying hey guys these are 450 a dozen or four dollars a dozen or yeah. whatever they are um but right now i'm not very good at doing that i pretty much just set the precedence early on with the eggs with like our chickens and extra eggs that we were selling them and there's plenty of times that when i go to church i take an extra two or three dozen or if I go to work, I take an extra two or three dozen. Or if like my mother-in-law comes, of course she takes eggs for free. But when I was establishing like our homestead and what we were doing and that we had extra eggs, it was always with the intention and kind of in the position of like, these are for sale. And at first I didn't put how much they were gonna cost me or cost them. But then I decided on $4 a dozen. And that was definitely at the peak of the egg shortage when there was like no eggs in the grocery store and people in my area were selling their eggs for like six or seven or eight dollars a dozen just because like no one could get eggs anywhere else and i'm like that's silly um so i've always just sold my eggs for four dollars a dozen and that is a good like break even number for us Mm -hmm. um Cause yeah, that's like a good break even number where I feel like they're getting really, really high quality eggs at a super reasonable price, but then also our flock of layers doesn't cost us any money. And then in busy season when they're like laying all the time and we're getting 12 to 15 eggs a day, then we're making a little bit of money to pocket. Yeah. We also last year did meat chickens for the first time. And this year I actually have talked with a few family and friends um, about if they would be interested in having some, like Mm -hmm. if we bulk bought a bunch of birds and then they would pay, you know, for X, Y, Z amount for the chickens, however many they wanted or help with feed costs or whatever it would be. So that we would break even on that meat bird front 
would be really mm -hmm. helpful because we've really enjoyed having those meat birds like as a family in our freezer this winter and next mm -hmm. summer i definitely want to up that operation just a little bit and talking with the family and friends they were very well received about wanting to do that yeah. and so i could see that being something that we scale up in the future as well to make money yeah yeah absolutely absolutely steph do you guys sell anything on your homestead or do you guys pretty much just like keep it uh like a homestead for your home um in the i guess the last couple of years it's really just been a homestead for our home uh but before mm -hmm. that we sold all of the goat kids um every spring we would get rid of them yeah. we would sell eggs um and i would actually sell them for the four dollars a dozen but if they gave me back the cartons i would give them a 50 cent discount on their next one so nice. it'd be 350 instead um yeah. so that i had cartons <laughs> i have um, tried doing but that yeah, for the most no part one wants to give me my eggs back my egg cartons back I've tried a couple of times. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. No luck for me. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. Yeah. No, you're good. I was just going to say that's pretty much what we've done so far. Um, I would like to get into either, well, past years I've had so many hens go broody that we had so many chicks hatch. Mm -hmm. Um that really we could have just sold them and not raised them out. Um, or we could have raised them out and sold them as pullets either way. But yeah, um, I would like to maybe dabble in that some this year, um, raising chicks and selling them as pullets because you can get more money for them Yeah, that way. Granted, you're putting more money into them. Um, and it's, I guess, a little bit more of a risk than just selling the chicks. Because um, if you lose a bird, then you're out money but yes no, six I and one half a dozen in the other <laughs> <laughs> of eggs <laughs> no i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh before we started this podcast i put a question box up over on our instagram which if you're not following us on instagram head on over to the homestead connection on instagram we're pretty active over there lots of reels different slides stuff like that um but i put a question box up over on our instagram to see if there was any questions about making money on the homestead or ways to make money on the homestead. And I put it up like right before we started recording. So there's not a lot of questions, but there is one question that I think is a really good question that kind of just frames in some of like the things we want to talk about. And it's how can you make your homestead quote unquote pay for itself? And I've seen this question before on different Facebook groups or on Instagram or even listened to a podcast about it a long time ago when Nate and I were first starting our homesteading journey. And I feel like that is a really big question for people because, you know, we say it time and time again when we're recording, homesteading can be expensive. It's like you want to add goats, it's expensive. You want to start a flock of chickens and, and a coop, it's like it gets expensive. And we don't all just have hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars to like whip out for something that isn't necessarily going to make us money. And we all know like chickens can be more expensive than buying eggs from the store and milking your goat can be more expensive than buying milk from the store but yet somehow we still just really want to add these things to our lives because for us, it makes a lot of sense. And so I think the straight question or the straight answer for this question is there is no one way to make a homestead pay for itself. But I think that there are a lot of ways to minimize the costs and kind of break down what some of the expenses are so that you can make back some of that money or maybe cut corners where it makes sense. And um, that's some of the stuff that we would like to talk about in a little bit more detail for like, you know, during this podcast. So I wanted to put that question out there because I think one, it's a really good question that a lot of people ask, and then it just kind of frames in a lot of what the other things are we want to talk about. So I think it's important to, to just think about what does paying for your homestead actually mean to you? Like, does that mean that you're making yeah. enough money per month to pay for all your feed, to pay for any new livestock or chickens that you want to get on your homestead? Does that mean that you want to pay your mortgage every month? Does that mean you want to pay for your kids' ex extracurricular activities? Like, what does paying, like, yeah. 
what does that mean? And what does that look like for you? Like, for me, you know, if I could make the money to pay off these, like, small amounts with my small, small scale operation, I'd be super happy. But if your goal is ultimately yeah. to pay your mortgage every month, we're, we're talking about two totally different, like, scales. And then, you know, you also have to look yeah. at it in a different sense where, you know, it's not necessarily monetary, but what you're getting from your garden and what you're getting from your chickens is in turn lessening the cost of your grocery bills per month. So in that flip, mm -hmm. you know, you're also mon like monetizing in a sense of what you're getting um, from your homesteads. So you're not putting that money back out into the market at the store. And so I think just thinking this about- is, Absolutely. Yeah, just thinking about what that means to you kind of needs to be like your first step and then you can kind of figure out how you want to monetize or make money on your homestead from there especially with the way the economy is right now and the price of food so a lot of people find value in eating and buying organic produce and organically raised chicken and eggs or raw milk and those are not just your basic Walmart grocery store expenses where you're spending $2 a dozen on eggs and you're spending $4 a, uh, for a gallon of milk. Like a lot of times people who are of this kind of homesteading self-sufficient mentality have a different view on the food we're buying and eating. And that generally comes with a higher cost. And I know some people who are paying $15 a gallon for raw milk or even $20 a gallon for raw milk. And I know those are exceptions. There's a lot of places where it's like eight or 10 or $12, but still that's really expensive. Mm -hmm. And most families go through at least a gallon of milk a week, sometimes more so than what you're talking about, almost a hundred dollars a month in milk. And so when you look at the cost of what you might be spending at the grocery store for the same quality of food that you want to eat that you can produce on your home i think you're totally right molly words yeah it there's the upfront expense and yeah there's the work but what you're producing on your homestead really does help mitigate the cost with your grocery bill and you know the quality of food that you're eating mm -hmm. um for us I think that I was, I have been really intentional. Actually, I think all of us, like with the Homestead Connection, we've all been really intentional. We're not interested in producing Pinterest perfect and Instagram perfect homesteads. Because nope. that is a huge, huge expense. Making these adorable chicken coops and these beautiful barns and these stunning, you know, farmstead houses. They're gorgeous. I love looking at them, but that comes at an expense. And so for me, I think some people would consider it cutting corners to do things. I'm not saying on the cheap, but maybe like on the ugly is totally fine with me. I'm interested in functionality and that typically means it doesn't cost as much, but it also doesn't mean that my homestead is Pinterest perfect either. But that's another great way to save, to save money when it comes to like starting your flock of chickens or whatever it is. Yeah. I totally or even like agree. a produce stand. I've seen the cutest produce stands, but I'm like, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars having my husband build me this cute produce stand so I can make what 10 bucks a day at, at tops on some cucumbers. I don't yes. know. No, I agree with you. I, I love, love, love looking at all these like Instagram, beautiful homesteads and these aesthetically like just the, you know, you know, the vibe I'm talking about and I love it, but it's just not practical. I think there's also a mentality behind it too, because there's a different type of work ethic that goes into having a homestead for your home and have it pay like a hobby or be just like kind of a hobby or have it to scale it to the point where you're actually going to make some type of an income. Mm -hmm. And, um, an example for me, like a real life example for our family is, uh, most people, when they start with their flock of chickens, they want four or five or six chickens. And we know chicken math, you know, you've got all, you know, eventually you'll end up with 20, 20 hens if you can, depending on where you live. And the exception to my example is people who live in an urban setting then are and are restricted on the number of chickens that they can have. When I started our flock, initially it was just for our family for fun, for like, it was fun. It was going to be a hobby for the girls and I we get, you know, we figured we get a couple eggs a day. And so I bought four chicks at the farm store. And by the end of the summer, I had like 12 chicks, whatever. But um, <laughs> that was initially like how it started. But then um, my mentality quickly shifted. Nate and I are very entrepreneurial minded, but then also we don't want to spend money unnecessarily. And so 
it add, the, the expenses cost it like add up, you know, I was $400 in for the chicken coop. And I was 20 bucks in for my chicks. I'm spending this money on high quality chick feed. And all of a sudden these became really expensive little chickens and that was fine. And I was kind of prepared for that. But as the summer progressed and I'm putting my pen to paper and doing the math, you know, if I can get X number of eggs per day at 14 hens, at, like if I have 14 hens that are giving me approximately eight to 10 eggs a day and I start selling those eggs outside of what we're eating, all of a sudden 14 hens was the break even point for our family so that I was enjoying the eggs. I was getting my eggs for free and I was selling enough eggs to make back the cost of what, uh, like to make back the cost. And some of that, I, you know, I didn't factor in the initial startup cost with the coop and this and that, although I ended up selling that chicken coop for the same money that I purchased it for. And my husband made me a separate coop that was larger out of scrap material that didn't cost us anything. So the idea for us and the idea for me was how can I be at least net neutral on these chickens so that maybe I'm not pocketing a ton of money, but then also I'm not dishing out a ton of money that's affecting me and my husband's bottom dollar monthly budget. And 14 chickens was that number for us. And that's going to vary for different people, depending on how many eggs they're eating or how many eggs they're selling or what type of chicken feed you're purchasing. Cause some people are purchasing, you know, cheap stuff and some people are purchasing really expensive stuff, but that ended up being the break even number. And now I, I, I have about 18 chickens right now. Um, one died today, RIP, but, um, you know, 18 chickens is where we're at, but when it's the summer months and I'm getting, you know, a dozen or 15 eggs a day, I'm selling, you know, every time I I do chicken uh, eggs, I run chicken eggs twice a week or twice a month, um, every other week for local drop-offs and pickups. And I, I make, you know, 60 bucks easy in a month, sometimes more, um, which pays for way more than pays for their chicken feed. And then the rest goes, you know, just, we just pocket it. That's nice. It's nice to be able to, you know, have something that's reliable that you know that you're going to have like said income you know i quote reliable right. um because you never know what's mm-hmm. really going to happen but that extra 60 dollars a month coming in that you know okay my chicken feed is taken care of and paid for like that's just a nice thing to know yeah. right and taking care of 14 chickens or 18 chickens or even at one point we had like 30 something chickens it's the same amount of work as taking care of six chickens or five chickens. You know what I mean? It's just, you have to go in and out the same amount of times. You have to check for eggs the same number of times. You know, you're scooping. It's just, it, there's not any extra work. You're doing the same steps right. the same time of day. You just have more mouths to feed, but then the payoff is also a lot higher. So right. that was, that's kind of a real life example for us. We didn't do the fancy coop. I kind of did a semi cute coop and sold it because I wasn't interested in kind of carrying the overhead expense. Nate bought, you know, Nate built something on the cheap. And then I was like, what's, what's my bottom dollar look like? And so my chickens, yeah, they've, they've cost us some here and there, but ultimately we haven't dished out a whole lot of money and we've been able to make money from them in other ways too, by selling chicks and selling pullets. So, which is huge. Yeah, I, I forgot. I actually did that last year. I had a friend who wanted chickens for the first time, and I raised, what did they end up buying? Five, four or five chickens from me as pullets. And, I mean, I bought mm-hmm. them for, what, a couple bucks or whatever as chicks, raised them, and right. then I think I sold them for 20 bucks a piece. Like, that's a quick way to, like, make profit off of the chicks that you just bought. I'm probably going to do that this spring. I, I tried this last spring and i mean i've shared it on the podcast before but if for those who haven't heard we i I had at one point like 65 or 70 chicks um laying hens um that i was raising out to sell as pullets and i did i did get to sell quite a few of them and i was going to keep quite a few of them and really increase our egg laying production uh but then we had a fox come through and essentially slaughter all but 15 of my birds and uh it was horrifying um and such a mess uh but i would like to do i would like to sell pullets again because i have put the math down and it's easier to sell chicks 
but the profits way less. And yeah, you put more, it's like, you know, Steph said, you put more into the pullets, but, and the risk is a little bit higher if you lose them, like with me, so painful. But uh, I like, people would prefer to buy pullets. It's so, in my opinion, it was so much easier to post pullets on Craigslist and different like farm for sale groups on Facebook than it was chicks. There's chicks something that people cute. do not for like first straight run. Chicks are cute oh, for the yeah. first, you know, few days, but they are a mess. Such a dusty mm-hmm. mess. I don't enjoy having chicks in my house. Like, I really don't. I would much rather have pullets. Yeah. People want the instant gratification of getting a chicken and having an egg. And that's why they want the pullets. But it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. And I feel that. I was just going to say it's more expensive. Like, if you're just starting your flock, it's more expensive for you to go get five, six, seven, ten pullets than it would be for you to go pick up, let's just say, 15 chicks because let's just have some insurance there. If you lose five, you still got ten. So, Absolutely. I actually talked with someone about this a little bit last spring, and it was just one lady, so I can't speak for everybody, but she liked buying the pullets because they weren't laying yet, so there was still a sense of anticipation that you have this this young hen, they're not laying yet, that's still excitement of raising them up for a little bit of time, and the anticipation of waiting to get your first egg without the commitment of, you know, 15, 18, 20 weeks that you're, like, investing into the into the chick which makes a lot of sense. And I, I was selling my pullets for eight, like, you know, 15 bucks for the most part. Um, but they were rainbow egg layers. So I was able to kind of curate a little, someone could come to me and get six hens and they'd get their cute little rainbow basket. And so I felt like I could charge a premium and people were willing to ch- pay a premium because they're looking mm-hmm. for a Pinterest perfect, int- Instagram perfect um, egg ba- egg basket. <clears throat> based on what they're you weren't charging like. enough if they were rainbow eggs <laughs> i know it... uh, but i would like to i would like to raise up pullets again this year yeah i think it's a good way to start um the lady where we get our meat birds i will leave her instagram or oh, no, she doesn't <laughs> have an instagram i will leave her information in the show notes um she is a small she's a they're a small family owned hatchery about 45 minutes away from where i live they have a website and they might have an instagram i don't really know but she doesn't do any marketing she just sells all word of mouth and their primary focus is meat birds and turkey poults but they also do some egg layers and they have like like as um isa browns and maybe like an amber star and olive eggers there's only three that she has and she sexes them so you know if you're getting rooster or pullet but the prices are insane last year and i don't know if she's going to adjust her prices this year because i've been telling her she needs to adjust her prices because it's ridiculous but her chicks are like a dollar 90. and so for me to go to her and buy you know 40 pullets of isa browns and raise them out for a dollar 90 a chick is such a low investment for me up front that could potentially have a very high payoff for people who are looking to get pullets and then also i'm supporting someone who is local so you know if you got your dollar 90 into your chick and your chick is going to eat about 15 pounds of feed so your 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 chick is on average going to eat between like 15 to 20 pounds of feed in their first 10 to 12 weeks of life and uh that's that's not a ton of money so you've got like you know eight dollars wrapped up in chick feed for your bird plus a dollar 90 so you're less than 12 dollars in for the bird which less than ten dollars in for the bird and then you turn around and sell it for six or eight dollars yeah or i mean 16 or 18 dollars it's like the profit margin isn't great but it's way more than selling a chick and if you're for me i'm gonna raise out pullets for myself anyways i might as well raise out extras and sell them and then those birds that i sold covered all of the chicks that were purchased plus all of the chick feed that i purchased and then i'm net neutral with a couple extra bucks in my pocket it's such a good mindset to have is to be net neutral. Like if you can at least be net neutral, you're not digging yourself a hole, right? And I think in this grand scheme of how yeah. can you have your homestead pay for itself, 
being at bare minimum of net neutral, you're going to be way ahead. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there's so many homesteads out there. Yeah, absolutely. Any, not even homesteads. So many people out there that are just in the hole. Like, that's just our culture in a, in a nutshell, right? Like, how many of us have tons of mm-hmm. debt? Like, it's just a thing. It's it's normal in our culture. It's more normal to be yeah. in debt than it is to be debt free. And with, with that being said, like, if you can have your homestead be net neutral, you're going to be way above mm-hmm. the rest. Yeah. And for us, for our family, it means, I mean, I haven't actually paid money, like quote unquote paid money for real for any of the eggs that we've had for the last two years. And then last year with raising meat birds, we raised meat birds for the first time, I guess not like we're in 2024. So it's kind of confusing. So we raised meat birds for the first time in 2022. We did two batches in 2022. We did two batches in 2023. We're probably going to do two large batches in 2024 of meat birds. But that was one of those things where the very first time I raised meat birds, I purchased 40 because I figured I'd lose half of them. (laughs) And I was like, if I can end with 20 birds, that would be great. And it's going to be a learning experience, but it went pretty well. There was a ton of interest, like Molly, you're saying, ton of interest for people who are interested in buying their chickens local because let's be honest, like the meat market is one of the sketchiest things about America. Like the quality of our meat and the way that our meat is raised is like one of the sketchiest, grossest things. And more and more information comes out about that and more and more people want to purchase their meat from people they know and not just off of like some random I'm getting increasingly more and typically it's not cheaper, I'm getting but- increasingly more nervous to buy meat at the grocery store especially with this lab grown meat that they're talking about like how do I not know that that is not ground yes. up and mixed in with whatever I'm supposed to be eating like how do I know that you're being truthful of what's on this label and that makes me nervous and I don't feel comfortable buying my meat and they don't have to disclose it yes I think of that too no it's terrible well not even that but like when you go to eat out like how do you know what you're getting at the restaurant nate and i were just talking about that because we were watching wheel of fortune our family loves to watch wheel of fortune and every night at 6 30 america's game <laughs> they were talking about applebee's it's like all you can eat steak and shrimp for 14.99 wow. and i was like some people might think that that's a really cool and get so excited about $14.99. But to me, I'm like, what is what about that is that they that they can charge $14.99 for all you can eat steak? And then I'm like, I bet it's lab grown, like printed fake meat. Yes. And then I'm like, I was so turned off by it. Yeah. Because you don't know. Like you no don't idea. know if it's real or not. I know. I, I love Qdoba. I that's one of my weaknesses as I love Qdoba. And if we go there, they have that, uh, I don't even know what it's called now. It's fake meat. Um, it's vegan. It's like a tofu base. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Right? Yeah. Because Chipotle has a similar thing. And I see that and I'm like, how do I not know that that's not in this meat that I'm wanting to get? Like, it just messes with my brain. And But I still love Qdoba, so I still go. <laughs> it's so bad. It's one of those, like, <laughs> weaknesses, you know? um but yeah it's just it's getting i think it's gonna get to be more mainstream and and that makes me nervous and that that makes me want to have whatever i can be locally sourced or source it myself Mm -hmm. and so i think the meat bird operation is a huge win especially because i mean i can't have livestock in town but i sure as heck raised meat birds last year in town and i plan to do it again this year (laughs) Right. And it is nice because, yeah, technically you have more chickens on your property than you're allowed, but they're butchered before the roosters start yep. to crow anyways. And like, yeah. who's really going to know? And if you slip your neighbor a chicken. Well, in, then in, they can't in the town out. I live in, we have no limits for how many chickens I can have. So I could have as many as I wanted, but oh, I mean, nice. within reason, I think if I had too many, I'd probably be called in. Um, but there's nothing in the ordinances that say anything <laughs> about the number. Uh, it just says I can't have any hooved animals. So the donkey and the horse and the cow are out. Well, hail. <laughs> That's funny. When we started the meat birds, the intention was just to like raise them for ourselves. It was, we were kind of coming out of COVID-ish. I was like, we were like out of COVID, but we were still kind of like, 
I was bored. I wanted to do something. I wanted to try something new. And so I decided we'd purchase meat birds. And like I said, I, I purchased 40. I got free shipping on them. I bought them from Meyer Hatchery and um, purchased a certain amount, got the free shipping, got them here. I figured if I if I ended up with 20 birds out of the 40 that I was winning, considering, you know, the experience we were getting, the quality of meat we were getting, the experience for the girls, like the learning opportunity and all the things. Um, but as I was like sharing about it and excited about it, there was so much interest. And so then we raised a second batch of birds for ourselves again, and then sold a couple just to kind of see what the process was going to look like. And this was in 2022, but then last year in 2023, as I was looking at all of the numbers that I had taken in and written down for 2022, I realized raising chicken for meat is very, very profitable. And it's interesting to me because all over the internet, we see how it's such a bad idea and how it's not profitable to do on a small scale. And I completely disagree. And um, I've talked about this before here and there. And specifically, I think we have like, I know we have a Raising Meat Birds chicken podcast episode where we kind of break it down and talk about it a little bit more in there. But there's truly so much opportunity to raise and sell chicken. And I think one of the unfortunate things that I've seen is when people are raising chicken for meat, they're out, they're pricing themselves out of the market where charging six or seven or eight dollars a pound for chicken isn't realistic for the average American family. So then they're just going to kind of succumb to purchasing sub quality chicken that's been like bathed in bleach and, you know, artificially plumped up from Walmart or Target or grocery store or wherever. And so... For my mentality the last couple of years and still is, if my family can eat a year's worth of chicken for free and I can simultaneously supply high quality chicken to the people in my community, that is like a huge win all around. And so I really analyzed my numbers and kind of broken down the cost of things. And um, and by in order to do that, I was writing, what did our chicks cost? What was the cost of the supplies and materials we used? How much chicken feed was I purchasing over how much time? And that's what my intake was really in 2022. So in 2023, I knew what my numbers were. And the break even price for us is right is between $4 and $4 and 50 cents a pound for chicken, which last year in 2023 at $1.4.50 a pound was still cheaper than some of the really poor quality chicken that people were buying at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're really hoping to scale up the meat bird production this year to supply more people with chicken. And now this year in 2024, we'll eat our chicken for free and then also be making a small profit on it as well, which I think is really cool for us. But it took uh, about a year's worth of, of trial, not necessarily error, but of like trial and analyzing and data collection um, to know how we could make making so that we knew how raising meat birds on our property would make us money or at least be net neutral for us. It's nice that you have such a number minded brain where you can, you know, figure all those things out. Like for me, I'm a creative person. So numbers and spreadsheets and all of those things do not come naturally to me whatsoever. I am a creative person. Sure. I'm like, okay, this, yeah, this should make sense. And so I love how you can break it down <laughs> as far as you do to know what it makes you and how it, you know, mm-hmm. like looking at the future, like forecasting it out, like how how you could, you know, scale it in different ways financially. Um, I think it's really impressive. Well, and I even just think from, even if you're someone who is homesteading and you're not interested in making money, but you're interested in saving money, I think raising chicken for meat is a really good way to save money and utilize your homestead in a really profitable and productive way. Um, Cause it doesn't have to be super fancy. And there's really easy ways to cut corners to make it just as practical, brass tacks, productive, and not have it be this whole big, whole big situation. I mean, we're talking about like utilizing things you have, feeding, like watering your chickens out of five gallon buckets that you can get for $2 from the hardware store and like all these kinds of things. And so there's definitely ways to do it. So if you're not wanting to like take on the responsibility of selling, but you don't want to purchase growth chicken from the grocery store anymore there's ways to raise birds on your property where it's cheaper 
than purchasing it. And then you know what you're buying anyways um, and utilizing the space that you have and, and adding a, a, a you know component of self-sufficiency and self-sustainability or even community sufficiency if you're able to supply something for your the community around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think all that is really good. I, you know, you mentioned here in in, in your last little sentence, few sentences there about ways that you could cut corners, and I think you know we've we've spoken pretty heavily on chickens at the moment, and like, you know, cutting corners on the homestead doesn't only just apply to chickens or you know whatever. What are your guys's like favorite ways to cut corners to save mm-hmm. a buck, or cut corners to make things more profitable for you in the long run? Like, what do you do at your houses? I mean, we only feed our goats like three months old here. <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> I For our family, it's definitely buying local in terms of like hay, buying it local um, from a guy that, you know, my husband is acquaintances with, and then um, feed mills, like grain mills. It can be inconvenient to have to track down a grain mill. And mm-hmm. sometimes grain mills want you to purchase like a weird quantity. But my experience is that if you roll up in your with your vehicle and you want to buy, you know, 300 pounds of chicken feed, which I know sounds like a lot, but that's really only six bags of chicken feed because most bags are 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. So if you like get six, you know, six bags of chicken feed from your local grain mill, you're for sure paying less than what you're going to spend at your farm store or off the internet or wherever. And so that's been one of the easy ways to cut corners. I have a lot of ways cutting corners for raising birds, but like we can, I can, we can do a whole separate podcast episode on that. I feel like we, you know, have such like a diverse like knowledge with chickens that I feel like we could do a whole series on chicken talk and um, yeah, it probably That's actually... That's actually something we, I know we've kicked that around a little bit and I would really like to do some like raising chickens 101, like raising chicks. And because this is the time of year that so many people are starting to talk about either getting their first chickens or, you know, increasing their, their flock size. Yeah. It it might be a a good topic that we should, we should cover here. Um, I agree. I was just going to mention a couple ways that we can cut corners and cutting corners. I don't know if that's even like the right word because I feel like cutting corners sounds like such like a dirty, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this like the cheap way or whatever, but it's oftentimes a more practical solution. Right. right? So like for us, like we go hunting, right. And instead of taking my deer to the butcher to get it ground down, you know, the silver skin off, everything done, cut into chopsticks, whatever cuts we're wanting, um, we process all of our own meat. So, we do all of our own chickens. Um, we do all of our own venison. If we get a hog or any other type of you know animal to eat for meat, we process that and we package it all ourselves and you know throw it into the freezer. And so there's like a one-time investment into like a good vacuum sealer if that's the route you want to go, or mm-hmm. into like a good set of knives or deboning knives or whatever your investment needs to look like to make that done um, efficiently and safe for mm-hmm. you and your family. Um, you know, there's that one-time investment, but it's going to save you for years to come because processing like at a, like a butcher shop gets to be super expensive depending on what you want done. And if you want to have like jerky made or breakfast sausage or whatever else, like that gets to be expensive. You don't exactly know what's all in it. And it's actually kind of fun just to take a Saturday and do it with your family and you can experiment with different flavors and, you know, make it just custom to what you guys want and what your family likes. And um, yeah. that's something that we we really enjoy doing. Um, we have really tried to take that mindset with a lot of stuff, too, where it's how is this going to service us in the long run? Because if I invest a little bit of money up front in, like you're saying, for you, it's like knives and, you know, package, like um, the, what your sealer thing, the vacuum, the vacuum sealer. sealer. Yeah. But uh for us, it's other things, but it's if we spend a little bit of money right now and then we are not having to buy it or replace it for a dozen years or however much, we're ultimately saving ourselves money in the long run. And I think that that's really smart, especially when it's things you can utilize in multiple ways, your vacuum sealer. You're using it for deer meat and you're using it for whatever, you know, your chickens that you butchered on your property, but then you're also using it for produce that you pulled out of your garden or stuff you're buying in bulk from the grocery store, Azure Standard or wherever. And so having something that's, yeah, you know, a little bit of money up front, but is multi-purpose 
that mm-hmm. you're able to use in various ways is huge. Yeah. And there, I know a lot of people, once they get really good at cleaning deer and like deboning and, you know, breaking them down, I know a lot of people that will take several deer on during a season and make money off of breaking down deer for other hunters. And that's another quick way that you can be making money in your homestead. Like if somebody needs help, you know, breaking down a a hog, you could go and help them. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I know people that do chickens and they have like the, I don't even know the right word for this. It's that like you put it in, there's a big old drum with all like the rubber fingers. So it's the plucker. Yes. So I know people that buy those because they're expensive, but then they rent them out, right? So like if you have the equipment, you can then turn and rent it out, um, which is also going to help you bring back in money to cover the cost that it, you know, it costs you up front. But then Mm -hmm. after that, it's just going to pay for itself and then some. So, yeah. I think analyzing your homestead and analyze, not even your homestead, because But yeah, I mean, analyzing your homestead, whether you have acreage or you live in an urban setting, like analyzing the type of property you have, the space that you have, and the skills that you have is one of the best places to start when you think about wanting to raise or to make any type of money on your homestead. And like Molly lives in an urban setting, but yet she has a number of chickens and has eggs and raises meat birds and is thinking about selling meat birds and has cut flower garden and wants to have a produce stand. She's not limited by being in a normal city on a normal city lot. And what she's doing in a city lot can be, you know, replicated on any size lot really. And uh, so I think it takes having a mindset of buckling down and analyzing the space that you have and taking in numbers and evaluating the, you know, cost benefit you know, at ratio and all of these things, but then also like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you going to enjoy doing? Like some people, like Nate and I, my husband and I, we would love to raise 400 meat birds this, you know, in 2024, but not everybody is excited about the idea of like raising out 400 meat birds. He and I think that that's awesome. We're like super pumped about it. And, but if that's not you, then like, don't raise 400 meat birds. Maybe you want to like utilize your space and plant a million different types of cut flowers and like sell flowers seasonally or something. That sounds horrifying. I, that is like, <laughs> it gives me dread, <laughs> but it's like, use your skill set and what makes you excited and figure out a way to monetize that in a way that is practical. One of the things that I just thought of that I wanted to bring up, especially because of the season we're in plants and starting our gardens, when we think about starting our gardens, we're con like, I think the first thing that people think about is selling produce and that's cool. Like plant in abundance, plant a little bit extra, plant more green beans, plant an extra couple of cucumbers, plant some extra squash, plant extra tomatoes, whatever. And then sell your, um, sell your, your, uh, excess. But one of the things that I did in 2023 that I'm doing again in 2024 is I, I sold plant starts and that for me was very profitable. Plants are not expensive. I'm raising them out anyways. Or like, I mean, seeds are not expensive and I'm raising out and planting seeds anyways. So I ended up planting about 10 extra of everything that I was raising for my garden or growing for my garden and then turned around and sold them. It was $4 a start. And it was just a flat $4, which is on par or even a little bit cheaper than most nurseries in the area where I live. Even going to like Lowe's or Home Depot or Menards to buy your plant starts, some of, sometimes those are like $4.99 or $5.99, or you get a little pack of four for five bucks. I was raising, I planted, I keep saying raising, I planted um, like heirloom seeds in organic seed start and then potting soil. So people knew that they were getting really high quality that was in line with the type of food that they were wanting to purchase from the store. And then I really didn't need to, to cover any of my costs because like I needed to buy the seeds anyways. The seeds are not expensive. And uh, that was a really great way for me to start off the year last year with a couple of extra hundred dollars in my pocket um, that went towards other things around our homestead. I got cattle panels up for our squash garden and like, you know, different things that was able to kind of go around and service different parts of the homestead while also benefiting the community around me. And that was, I thought last year was the first year I did it. And I hope that I can do that every single year. That's on my list for this year is to do um, plant starts. 
it's like I knew that I was going to be planting a couple, you know, it's like I knew I was going to plant cucumbers and I knew I was because I live like Molly lives in Minnesota. So she's basically Molly's not direct sowing anything into the ground. And for me in Illinois, I there's some things I could direct sow into the ground and but I'm still high enough um, in a grow zone. Like I'm, a, I'm right on the border of uh, 5A, 5B. So our frosts are early enough and late enough that it's kind of hairy for me to direct sow some stuff. And so I start everything ahead of time and grow it under lights out in our shop. So if I know that I have to basically start everything, green beans, tomatoes, peppers, uh, cucumbers, I mean, I started everything, then why not? do extras. I mean, you're already doing the work and turn around okay. and sell them. I mean, it's the, the, and the initial upfront investment for that is almost nothing, especially if you buy little like four inch pots to up pot everything off of Amazon. I think I got like 200. I mean, they're crappy quality, but they don't need to be good quality. I think I got 200 of them for like $25. Last year I switched into um, soil blocking instead of using like containers and i love it mm -hmm. so far it is so slick and really? so nice yes i love it once you get your consistency mm -hmm. down of the soil to water ratio um so that way they stick well it's so good so so good <laughs> i've seen such mixed things like people who absolutely love it and then people who have had a hard time with it because they feel like the soil gets drier faster and I'm kind of lazy, so I feel like it's not good for me. <laughs> I feel like they're harder to water just because, like, you know, you have to bottom water them. And if you make them too tight, you don't know if the water is getting in between, like, the cells and yada, yada, yada. But I just, you know, sure. would take extra time. Um, but it was just nice how many I could fit, especially for my flowers, like, how small those little seeds are. I could fit, hun like, sure. 120 little cells on, like, my little flat and it took up like no space like it was so nice um there was something else that i was i thought that crossed my mind i wanted to mention and i can't remember what it was i don't know if y'all have looked into it but like we have and i'm sure it's different things for each state but like your cottage food laws um mm -hmm. i know that you could do like jams and jellies. that's what it was that i wanted to mention <laughs> yes i know that for texas and i meant to look it up just to refresh my memory but i know in texas we can do as far as canned goods, the only thing we can do is like jams and jellies. We can't do like tomato sauce and meat and potatoes and all that. Anything that has to be pressure canned, you can't do um, unless you have like a food license. Um, we can do yeah. like breads, um, cakes, things like that. Things that don't need to be refrigerated, you can do. Um, you can do honey and all of that kind of stuff um but that's another option yes. um and you can do that from your home or you can do it at a farmer's market so i think that's such a good option and with a lot of those things it's stuff that you're already probably doing to serve your family anyways whether it's baking bread mm -hmm. or for you know I, I mean pretty much every week i'm making bread bagels english muffins sandwich bread cinnamon rolls. I'm not selling cinnamon rolls. I hate making cinnamon rolls, but it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. There's someone on Instagram. Um, her username is barefoot lane MN. She lives in Minnesota, like Southern Minnesota, and they have quite a nice little homestead, but she does a lot with baking and selling her baked goods. And it's mm -hmm. so cute. She does such a great job. She sells like mini loaves and regular size loaves. But um, it's important to get your cottage food laws. I have a friend who started selling stuff on Facebook and she got popped. Someone reported her and she got a letter in the mail with screenshots in this letter from the state of Illinois saying, oh, hey, man. this is illegal activity. And it was a warning. They didn't fine her, but they were like, uh, do it again and you're going to get a fine. And it was going to be like a couple hundred bucks. And uh, so she got her cottage food license, and I think it's only $50 to get yours in Illinois. I have the papers printed off, but I haven't gotten that's mine. Cheap. But I think that that's a really good way to make money on your homestead, no matter the size. We don't have to have a license down here. Really? Hmm. That's nice. Yeah. We don't, you don't have to get a license. 
you just have to go by whatever the the laws are. I know there's certain things that you have to have, like labels for certain things. Um, but again, I don't know the specifics and I'm sure it's different for every state, but. Yeah. And I know some states are stricter than others. Like Illinois obviously is stricter than others. Um, you know, we have to have our chicken processed at a USDA certified organic process or a certified processing center. And our guy does organic anyways. Um, otherwise you can apply to process them at your house, but then you subjugate yourself to inspection. And like, we're not really interested in that. Um, like if we can keep Illinois government people off of our property. That would be preferable. <laughs> um, but uh, we, there is cottage, the cottage, you need a cottage food license in Illinois, but I'm pretty sure it's only 50 bucks and it covers, like you're saying, bread, um, anything that's acidic that can be water bath canned, um, honey, and maybe that's all. So anyways, which is still good. My dream in 2024 is in our shop to have set up a refrigerator and shelving and with, uh, in our, in the fridge freezer that we would have chicken in the freezer, milk and eggs, like goat milk and eggs in the refrigerator. And then in the cupboards have honey and jam, uh, or like mm-hmm. other canned goods for people to kind of come and have like a little one-stop shop to pick up some, some of their supplies. It sounds like a dream. It does. I love that so much. We, um, just had found out that, so in the small town I live in, our grocery store shut down for the second time and sold this last year. And a Mm -hmm. gal up the street from me actually is leasing it and is turning it back into a grocery store. And she's kind of gonna, not like natural food grocery, but kind of that way. And she's Uh looking for a whole bunch of people to come in with their cottage food licenses to sell like homemade stuff that's from our area. And so just when you said like, you want to have all these little things, it just made me think of that. And like, if you have your cottage food, this is another avenue. You could see if there's any local businesses around you that are Mm -hmm. looking for people to bring their stuff in on consignment or however they want to do it um, Mm -hmm. because you might be able to make money that way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of, there's, there's so many avenues. There's so many little things and big things that you can do. And, you know, you can sell chicken eggs to a couple people around the neighborhood or you can have like our friend Alex McCracken, her family, they at one point they had what, like 500 chickens or something like that, that then they're selling to grocery stores, you know, privately owned grocery stores in the area. And there's actually someone in my area who does that. Same with, for us, milk is so expensive. Even buying Kelowna milk um, is, you know, $8 a gallon or more. And so when I put pen to paper, I was like, it's cheaper for us to own milking goats than it is for us to continue to buy Kelowna milk, let alone raw milk from a local farmer. So it was an upfront expense. We spent about $1,400 getting our goat pen and the goats and everything ready to go. We were like, we're about $1,400 and to get set up with the goats. But um, between selling the kids this spring, goat kids this spring, we will have made back our startup cost plus extra. And then if we turn around and even if we don't sell a drop of milk ever, I've made back my expense after the spring. So we're free and clear and feeding the goats and housing the goats is still cheaper than purchasing milk from the grocery store for our family. And I think that that's silly because people think, oh, you add live, when you add livestock and this and that, it's going to be so expensive. And yeah, it is initially, but it's not hard to make that startup cost. And when I purchased our goats, I was intentional about purchasing registered goats, not because I care, but because I knew that I was going to make more selling the babies of registered goats than if I just had like milk mutts or whatever. And so it was, it added to my initial upfront expense, but now instead of selling my kids for a hundred dollars or $125, I can sell my goats for my goat kids for like 200 or $250, which is a big difference. And, uh, and now we'll never have to pay money for milk again. (laughs) That's incredible. That's so cool. I I just love that. Yeah. It, the, the cost of milk is crazy. We pay $9 a gallon for our raw milk that we get cow's milk um mm-hmm. and it's something i'm willing to pay obviously for the benefits oh, yeah. 
And um, I don't even bat an eye at the price. Like I, I don't because I know mm-hmm. that what it's giving. And so like if you ever chose to sell your milk, you know, more power to you. But the fact yeah. that you don't need to to be broke even is is so cool. The average price for a half a gallon of goat milk in my area is twelve dollars. For half a gallon? Isn't that, yeah. Isn't oh that insane? Goodness. Wow. And it's to me, if we decided to sell milk, basically once our goats kid, I'm going to start milking them and then decide what our family is going to use, make the things that I want to out of, you know, the goat milk with my Nigerians, I can do cheese and butter and, you know, whatever else, sour cream and yogurt and all the things. So I'm going to use them for our family's benefit. And if I have excess, I'll turn around and sell it. But my mindset with that is the same as the chicken when we were raising the chicken for meat, it's not to like price someone out of the market. It's like how, like if, if I don't need to make a lot of money from this, I don't want to. And if I can bless someone else and serve my community, I'd rather charge less. Mm -hmm. So I really picture myself selling it for like $4 for a half gallon or $5 for a half gallon or something. Cause even that to me feels expensive. But when I look at the price of goat milk in the store, it's like on par with the, the cost of goat milk is in the store. But Goat milk in the store is just as processed and pasteurized as like cow's milk is. So, mm-hmm. you know, but we'll see. We'll see. I think the last thing that we wanted to touch on is with this whole conversation about like making money on the homestead and mitigating expenses on the homestead is talking about like taxes, write-offs and establishing an LLC. And like we are by no means financial advisors or experts at all at all and so like we don't mean for this to be financial advice and we know that you guys know that but we just want to make sure that we make it very clear it's not meant to be financial advice but if you haven't looked into making your homestead an llc there is a lot of benefit in that because there's so much that you that you're already doing expenses that you already have purchases you're already making that all of a sudden can become a write-off and this is something that nate and i have done um we own a couple of different like little businesses on the side um or my my husband's primary source of income is his as he he owns his own business but as soon as you create an llc you're able to recategorize so many different expenses or um place different expenses under the business's name or the homestead's name, the LLC's name that become tax write-offs. And you're not going to see any initial change in your, you know, your weekly budget or your monthly budget or anything like that. But when it comes to like yearly tax time and different things that you're paying for and different expenses that you have, like cell phone, internet, um, feed costs, hay costs. Um, if you buy chicks, if you buy goats, if you buy fencing, if you're purchasing, or if you're putting diesel in your truck to go get something or gas in your car to go pick something, all of that stuff becomes write-offs for your homestead and LLC. And obviously you wanna like touch base with your, you know, with your tax person or get a tax person or an accountant, but it's absolutely worth the effort to talk to someone about that um, because there's a lot more than people realize can be recategorized and written off as business expenses that in the long run really will help you out like financially and so that's really all like i know what to say on it because like i don't have like a lot of education or experience but it's even if you can't you know get a beehive and start selling honey or milk goats and sell the milk or you know sell pullets or raise meat birds or whatever it is it's like that's something that you can do even you know now even now yeah, and besides looking into an LLC and, and you know, the write-offs for taxes that way, um, making sure that your house and your land is, a ho- like, registered as, like, homestead and the tax credits that you get for having any type of agricultural land or things like that on your property taxes is going to be really important for you to make sure that you're just established well there. Um, and, you know, talking yeah. with your county recorder's office on just making sure that everything is up to snuff and, and looks good um, is really helpful. And another thing, too, is you can look through your, like, Minnesota, like Minnesota has the Department of Natural Resources in that I know out west they call it like the fishing game or I don't know what it, they call it in like your areas. But a lot of those places have different DNR. programs for conservation. Um, and so like there's 
uh, programs for like trees and if you have CRP grass or if you have bee habitat, different things like that yeah. give you tax breaks and write-offs as well um, that can help with, you know, the, the cost of your property taxes every year or whatever, you know, it needs to be. And so that's another way, you know, if you're, you know, thinking about taxes and things like that, that it's something to look into. And, um, you know, another place to look is like your county extension office um, through like your yeah. university. So those are just good resources that you can go and check to see if there's anything else you can be doing on your homestead to help with that financial burden as well. Yeah, I was able to get trees. I was able to get two apple trees and like a huge, huge, I think it was like a two pound bag, like package of wildflowers that were pollinator friendly um, from the state of Illinois, from one of like the extension offices Mm -hmm. when um, I was poking around online. And it didn't really like, I mean, it saved me a little bit of money in the long run and we have beautiful wildflowers in the back couple acres of our yard and two two apple trees that the deers loved when I planted them the first year that we got them. (laughs) But it was still like, there is a lot of resources out there. And uh, in the state of Illinois, it isn't active right now, but at one point you could get a tax break for having beehives, but then you had to register your beehives and have them inspected by the state. And there was also a grant at one point regarding your, um, your like backyard garden, but same thing, you had to have it registered. And so for us, we were automatically out. We were like, yep, nope, no thanks, <laughs> not interested. I'll take the uh, hit on this one. Yeah, I know. But I, but Illinois is the exception to a lot of states. Like we're very like, it's just a rough state to live in. So, but yet we're still here. <laughs> Yeah, I just there's a lot of information out there. And if as soon as you start poking around on the internet or talking with, um, you know, people at like your county extension office or your courthouse or yeah. whatever, you can really learn a lot of information and in really quick. And another place that is a really good spot to go is like your local cafe and talk to the old farmers and say, like, what do you know about X, Y and Z? And the chances that they know it are pretty high. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a topic that we could talk. I mean, I could talk about it for forever. I feel I like have so many numbers written down and I feel so passionately about like educating and empowering people on doing what they can with their homesteads in a financial way and like being net neutral and how to be net neutral. But it's just it's too detailed to really like put it into a podcast. But I just think that it's something that I hope more people consider you know, making money so it can help the bottom dollar, but then also um, just, you know, be more self-sufficient for themselves and, and realize that don't be scared to step into taking on a financial responsibility or financial burden because there's so many ways to make that work in such a positive way for you and your family and your community and your homestead. It's really empowering when you know that you have the power to make those decisions for you and your family and to have, you know, those decisions to be laid out in front of you of, yes, we can do this. No, we cannot. And that feeling that you have is something that you can't compare. Um, And so I think once you can learn the ins and outs and trying to deep dive it, you're really going to be successful in whatever you choose to do with your homestead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just as like a final little thought, like to throw it out there, your homestead doesn't have to make money. Like your homestead is still valuable and important and wonderful and serves such a huge purpose if it doesn't make money. So we don't want this episode to come off as, you know, is burdening people to figure out how to way to monetize the things that they're doing. Cause there's a whole lot of people who just want to have what they have for their family and maybe a few close people around them. And that's beautiful and perfect and wonderful. So don't take this as in you, you have to monetize your homestead. You don't have to. Mm-mm. So your homestead is great if it's making no money. Yes. Cause mine doesn't make very much money like mine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still great. And I still love it. So I agree right. with you hundred percent. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up there then. Go follow us on Instagram. Join in the conversation over there. Oh, and if you haven't checked out (laughs) Patreon yet, go check it out. But for real. 
if you are enjoying the podcast episodes, please leave us a review. We love, love, love when you guys give us a review, whether you send us a message on Instagram or you give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple or iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to your podcast episode. If you would just take a minute and leave a review, that means everything to us. One, we love the feedback. And two, it really helps boost the podcast and the algorithms for people who are looking for more homesteading content or content on becoming more self-sufficient or community sufficient. So just do us that favor and uh, leave us a review. It would be so wonderful and we would be forever grateful. So anyways. And to be really honest, when she says that we love seeing your reviews, as soon as a review comes through, it's (laughs) screenshotted and sent to all of us so we can all see it. So it really does brighten our day. It's so true. Whenever it's like a, a great message comes through or someone like will leave a comment somewhere and for one of us is always screenshotting is that like, look at this. It's so great. It is so wonderful. We love it so much. So it is you. a bright spot. <laughs> so. Cool. Well, I hope you guys have a great day and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.